Just a little over a week ago, uh, Karen and I had an opportunity to go out to the Outer Banks. It was my first time, and we were staying all the way down at the southern tip of the Outer Banks and went to a restaurant, and they had a very interesting decor. When you walked in along a very long wall, they had a series of radar pictures. Now, what kind of radar pictures would they use to decorate the entrance to their restaurant? Where they were radar pictures of hurricanes that had either uh, come very close to that part of the Outer Banks or had directly hit the Outer Banks. Uh, in other words, I think what they were trying to say is we get hit by a lot of hurricanes. You know, in a similar way, I think all of us can relate to the truth that we all get hit by storms of various kinds. Over the last year, we have all been caught up in the turbulence of the COVID-19 storm. What do we do during those times? What happens to our faith when those trials come against us? I want us to think of those things as we look at our text today. Our text uh, comes from Luke chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 22 and reading through verse 25. Listen as I read from God's Word. One day he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was calm. He said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water, and they obey him? Thus ends the reading of our text. We love uh, having the help of God, not only in our storms, but as we read uh, his words. So let's pray and ask for that help right now. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we come again as we study your word to ask for your help. Lord, even as we study this word, we know that both the one teaching and the one listening is encountering or has encountered storms of many kinds. We all may be experiencing uh, storms of fear or anxiety, storms of uh, sickness or obstacles, storms of uncertainty about the future, storms of relationships that are strained. Oh Lord, in the midst of these storms, we need to know and remember your presence. We need to be able to answer the question, who is this that commands and the, the storm, the waves and the winds obey him? Lord, we need to know him better. And so we pray that your spirit will help us as we study your word today. Spirit, help us to not only learn about Jesus, but help us get to know Jesus better. Spirit, help me to teach in a way that people are encouraged and that you are honored and glorified. We pray asking for this help even now in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we look at this text together, I want us 
to look at it uh, really under three headings. First of all, I want us to talk about this the storm. Secondly, I want us to talk about the rescue. And lastly, I want us to talk about the questions. First of all, let's talk about the storm. Now, what is happening here is that Jesus is taking a boat with his disciples across uh, the lake uh, of Galilee. Only Luke, of all the gospel writers, uh, calls it a lake. Everyone else refers to it as the Sea of Galilee. And there, while they are on uh, their journey, a sudden windstorm uh, sort of comes up. And the word used there is whirlwind. In other words, it's like a a tornadic, hurricane-like wind. And people who have studied these things uh, over in Israel say that it's because the Sea of Galilee is actually below sea level, and it is surrounded by heights that are much more significant than itself. And basically, the cold air rushes down those mountains, and it interacts with the warm air that is above the the sea or the lake of Galilee, and these storms get created rather suddenly. If you've ever been uh, driving down the road in your car and suddenly a big thunderstorm meets you, you know exactly what it's like to have a violent storm meet you uh, without your uh, seeing it coming or expecting it. Of course, it was at night when they were sailing, so they couldn't have seen the the clouds gathering and they would have not anticipated this in any way. And so the storm comes. What kind of storm is this? Well, it is a dangerous storm, not only from the winds, but because the waves are getting stirred up to such an extent, as Luke points out very graphically, that they were filling with water. That is, their boat was filling with water. Now, this was a relatively good-sized boat, at least 26 and a half feet long. But according to archaeological studies, these boats probably were only about four and a half feet deep. That means that they would quickly fill with water. And as they did, the weight would pull them uh, down into the sea. So I imagine as that water began to come in that the disciples were busying themselves trying to get the water uh, back out of the boat, bailing uh, the boat out, if you will. And they were working and they were just becoming overwhelmed. You can sense in the story by the fact that they address Jesus as master, master, that they are in a hurry, that their uh, anxiety and fear has risen to a level Uh, that they probably are close to panic. I think we get it. We get it. When storms of life, and there I'm not talking about the literal storms, I'm talking about the metaphorical storms in our life come along, uh, we have a very similar response. At first, we try to deal with it or cope with it, and then we start to be overwhelmed by it, or at least I do. Whenever I am facing adversity, for instance, like figuring out how we're going to launch a church from scratch here in Fort Mill after COVID has completely wrecked all of our plans, I can assure you I've gone through these stages. I've gone through the stage of trying to cope with it. Well, we can at least do uh, sermons and encouragements here online, and we can try to stay in touch with people who are supporting us and hope to continue to meet people in our community. But as time goes by and our runway for launching a new church 
begins to shorten, I begin to feel the panic. And uh, perhaps I want to cry out, Master, Master, uh, you know, help us, you know. And I certainly do. I pray, and I hope you're praying every day that God will send the help we need. But that's usually the way it works. First, I try to deal with it myself. And then I realize how overwhelmed and outmatched I am. And I begin to cry out for help. You know, I know that our goal is to actually reverse those two is first to cry out for help, and then using the strength, uh, the grace, and the wisdom of God that he gives to begin to work uh, in concert with him toward whatever direction he would like us to go. But usually I reverse those. I think most of us do. I know that over the last year, almost everyone uh, listening or watching certainly had something that was a giant storm in your life. It may not have been related to your job specifically. It may have been related to just the people that you shared a home with more than you were used to in the past. It may have been uh, being concerned about older relatives or parents or grandparents. It may have been uh, issues with uh, relationships that existed because of the many different opinions about how to how to deal with COVID, and how to respond to all of the stuff in our world today. And some, sometimes those relationships uh, got to the breaking point. Those are certainly storms. Well, what do we do? Most of us have tried to just fix it ourselves, but eventually we get to the point where we cry out, I need help, which really brings us to the second point of this uh, part of God's Word today, and that is the rescue. So we've talked about the storm. Let's talk about the rescue. I love this rescue because it is, in a way, uh, a complete contrast to the storm that is raging around. You can almost imagine uh, the wind howling, whistling through the ears of those who were in that boat, the sound of the waves crashing, not only against the boat, but over the side of the boat, the feeling of the cold water that is gathering around their legs uh, as it gets deeper and deeper by the minute. You can imagine all of that happening, and Jesus's response is to actually talk to the storm. Now, I use the word talk to the storm, and that is an understatement. Literally, uh, what it says that he does uh, it says he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. He rebuked it. Now, that may seem like an interesting word to use about what he did. You could say, some might say, well, did he yell at the wind and the waves? Uh, did he command the wind and the waves? It says here he rebuked it. And this is the same word that's used uh, not only in the Gospel of Luke, but other uh, gospel writers, for what Jesus did to demons. One writer uh, said it beautifully. Jesus rebukes those things uh, that are basically adversaries or things that seek to overwhelm his people. He rebukes those things that are seeking to overwhelm his people. Now, that's encouraging because what it shows, even in the way that Jesus responded uh, to the peril that his disciples were in was that he showed, he understood the nature of the situation. In other words, that storm, as sudden as it was, was not 
normal or natural. And you say, wait a second, you just said it can happen there on the Lake of Galilee or the Sea of Galilee, uh, that it wasn't that unusual. But the question is, is that the way it was supposed to be? And this is where we get into something that I think it's helpful for us to revisit here in terms of biblical theology, and that is things like uh, storms, tornadoes, hurricanes aren't just the way it's supposed to be. These are side effects of the world not operating in the way that God originally intended. How did God originally intend the world to work? He intended it to work in harmony, and he, in turn, he intended that humanity uh, would be a vice regent, uh, essentially a delegated uh, rule, assistant ruler of the earth as they tended it and cared for it and were stewards of it and as they were fruitful and multiply and filled it. But it was meant for all of that, the world and everything that it contains, including things like the wind and the waves, and humanity to work in cooperation with one another, not against one another. And so here, when Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves, he is rebuking something in creation that is out of order. And in doing this, we see a beautiful thing that we just don't want to rush over, and that is that Jesus comes and will come again to make things that are messed up right. We see that at the end of Revelation, where uh, there is no longer any sickness or death. There will be no more tears. Well, how how will there be no more death or sickness or tears? Because all of the stuff that is broken will be repaired. Everything that is not working the way it's supposed to will be working in harmony the way God originally intended. Jesus shows that this is not only his intention, but his capability when he does this kind of thing in our story. He rebukes the wind and the waves because they weren't operating in the way that they were originally intended. What a, what a great encouragement as we see that. I want us to notice as well that it is not an eventual effect. Some people might say, well, what a coincidence. Uh, Jesus gets up and rebukes the wind and waves, and eventually the storm died down. But notice the text just doesn't allow that. Uh, it says that whenever he does this, uh, it says that the, the, the wind and the waves, uh, they ceased and there was calm. Now, I don't know whether you've ever been out in uh, big water, whether on a big lake or whether out in the ocean, but even after the wind stops blowing, the waves keep on rocking. You can do this experiment this summer if you want uh, in your local uh, or in the pool that you might have in your backyard. Get you and about 20 of your friends uh, committed to jumping in that pool, doing cannonballs and can openers and get that pool rocking, you know, so that that uh, nice, hard-worked, chlorinated water starts splashing out everywhere, and then tell everyone just to stop and see how long it takes just for that small pool uh, to return to steady and even water. Now, if some of you are out there thinking, 
I'm not sure that I'm probably going to do rock the pool uh, in the future. Well, don't worry. You can remember or you can watch kids doing it at the pool this summer. But when Jesus rebuked the wind and waves, everything got still. This is wonderful. It's wonderful because so often when we hit those storms of life, we often wonder whether Jesus is paying attention. The reality is, for those who have put their trust in him, who have believed in him, he will be present with us and enable us to either to escape the trial or to be able to endure through the trial. And that includes the trial that might end up in death. For the one who believes in Jesus, Jesus will be present with them even as they go through a sickness that leads to temporal death. And then he will usher us into his presence forever. You see, in other words, Jesus is always present and he always rescues those who believe in him. Which really leads us naturally to the last part of this text I want us to look at, and that is the questions. Notice at the end of this text, after we've looked at the storm and after we've uh, seen the rescue, we see these questions. There are actually two questions. There's a question that Jesus asked, and there's a question that the disciples asked. So let's first look at the question that Jesus asked. Notice the question that Jesus asked. He says in verse 25, where is your faith? Where is your faith? Now, (laughs) you know, of course, when we read this, we might mistakenly think he was like, did you leave your faith on the shore uh, behind us? You know, no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, where is the evidence of your faith? If you have trusted in me, if you have heard my words, and really, since we see this text coming just after uh, our last two texts we looked at, one uh, two weeks ago was looking at uh, the parable of the sower and how Jesus says that the good soil that was very fruitful was the one that received, that heard and received the word of God. And then last week, we looked at the truth that the light that we don't want to hide is the light of the word of God, who is Jesus himself. And that if we don't try to hide it or put it away, that we are actually in relationship with him. We are part of his family. Perhaps it is in that light that here Luke uh, records that he says, where is your faith? Where is the evidence that you have received, that you have rested upon the word of God that is uh, from and in Jesus Christ? Where is it? Where is the evidence of it? And isn't that a good question for all of us to ask in our various responses to our storms? Where is our faith? Is it front and center, or does it lag behind? Is it something that emboldens us and encourages us, or is it something we fall back on as a last resort? Where is our faith? Too often for me, my faith is MIA. It is missing in action. Now, that doesn't mean that the disciples didn't have uh, faith, that initiating faith that they believed that Jesus was from God and that he would bring salvation. Now, at this point in the ministry of Jesus, they had a very different idea of what those things meant, 
than they would find out later on. Uh, but they had faith or else they wouldn't have followed Jesus. They had faith or they wouldn't have stayed with Jesus. Jesus is saying you're not acting in accordance with the things you already have seen, heard, and received. And that's helpful for us to think about. Where is our faith? But I want to take it a little bit out of the context of this specific text for a second and ask it in a more broad way. Where is our faith in terms of where do we place our trust? You know, we live in a world that is full of all kinds of wonderful technologies that I certainly enjoy uh, taking advantage of. But do we put our faith and technologies. We live in a world that, at least over the last few years, seems to have been dominated by uh, politicians and political views and all of that. But is that where we put our faith? Or perhaps we're thinking, I'm going to live forever because of all the advances in medicine and medical care, and that is where I'm putting my faith. The reality is, if we put our faiths in tech, faith in technology or politics or medicine or anything else. It's in the wrong place. The question is, is our faith fully in Jesus Christ and him alone for our salvation, for our hope, for our significance, for our identity, for our joy, for our confidence about the future, for our hope? Where is our faith. But you see, there's a second question as we look at the questions. The second question is the one the disciples asked. Notice their response here at the end. Uh, it says, after Jesus says, where is your faith? It says, and they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him? Who is this? And here, I want you to hear that question as the question the gospel writer, Luke, wants us to be thinking about. Who is this that could actually speak directly to the wind and the waves and they obey? Why does it say the disciples were afraid? Because they knew that no man has that ability. Yes, they had heard stories about men who had called upon God and had the storm uh, be taken care of, who had prayed or repented, who had done other things, and God responded by calming the storm. But they had never heard of a man who can rebuke a storm and the winds and the waves suddenly become, become calm. They knew they were dealing with something different. Now, remember that at this point in Jesus's ministry, they had heard Jesus teach just astounding uh, messages. They had seen thousands come to him uh, to hear the message he proclaimed. They, he, they had seen him heal lepers. They had seen him uh, do so many miracles. Earlier in Luke, we had, they had seen him raise uh, the only son of a widow from the dead. They had seen these things, and yet here they're afraid because they're like, wow, this is a whole nother level. And you see, we need to remember that the gospel writer Luke is writing, uh, as we see at the beginning of uh, his gospel, he's writing to someone named Theophilus. And I know I've mentioned this a lot, but it's very important that, uh, that we see that as I flip very slowly over to the beginning of Luke. 
and my pages are sticking together, which always makes it more challenging. Uh, he says this about why he wrote the book. He says, uh, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Here, Luke is saying he wants Theophilus, and whether that's an individual or uh, it's referring to everyone who is a lover of God, which is what that name means, what he wants them to have is certainty about the things they have been taught. Are you someone who's heard the story of Jesus? You've heard about his teaching and the miracles that he's done. Well, Luke wants you to know with certainty the truth of the things that you have been taught. And so here at the end of this story, he wants you to ask the question, who then is this that can calm the wind and the waves by rebuking them? Who is this? Well, we see uh, really the answer that Luke wants us to get to by reading the rest of his gospel, but we also see it by looking at a passage back in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 107, verse 23 and following, we read the following uh, account. It's really in the middle of a praise for the faithfulness of God. This is what it says. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunk men and were at their wit's end. And then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. They were Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Here, uh, the psalmist recounts stories of sailors who had been out on a sea, and much like these disciples, were in the middle of a sudden and terrible storm. And yet they called out to the Lord, that is to Yahweh, to God, and God calmed the storm. God hushed even the waves. Who then is this? To answer the question that Luke poses, this is the Lord who has come in the flesh. You see, this is the assurance of the things that we have been taught is this Jesus is God who has come. Now, why would God come in the flesh? We always need to remember he came in the flesh, not just to pay a friendly visit, but he came in the flesh because all of us were in deep trouble, because none of us had ever obeyed God perfectly. And in fact, we had disobeyed him uh, in every way, or at least partially in every way, so that we rightly deserve not blessing or eternal life from God, but we deserve judgment and eternal death from God. 
But God became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ, not only to do these wonders, but to do the greatest wonder of all, which was to die on a cross. Not because he had done anything wrong, he didn't. He was perfect in every way. But he died on a cross to pay the penalty, to bear the judgment that sin deserves. And he showed that he had completely uh, won that victory by being raised from the dead on the third day. And for all who believe in him, we have our the, the judgment and the penalty we deserve for sin taken away from us and put onto Christ. And because of his resurrection, we have his perfect record, his righteousness applied to us as we have believed and trusted in him and him alone. This is the one who can speak to the sea and to the winds. It is God who's come to save not just the disciples, but to save me and to save you. I pray that that is where your faith is today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful not only for this story, but the way stories like this have been lived out in our own lives. We're thankful, Lord, that we have found you all the time to be reliable, to be present with us in the storm, to rescue us through the storm, and Lord, to be with us even if the storm brings the end of this life. Lord, you are the one that is always with us. We may not perceive it. We may not perceive you're paying attention or that you care but you always love your children, your brothers, your sisters, as we saw in last week's passage. May we be able to answer both questions here in this text. Where is our faith? It is front and center, and it is what my life is built on and around. And who is this? God who became man to save a sinner like me. May this be our confidence, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us as uh, we have looked at God's Word uh, together today. I did mention uh, some things about King's Cross in the message as by way of illustration, but I want you to pray for us. Uh, Over the next few months, uh, the summer months, we want to start gathering people again with the hope that God will allow us to relaunch public services in the fall. Now, I want to be straight with you. It's going to take God's supernatural grace uh, to enable us to gather the group that we'll be able to launch. Our prayer is to reach all kinds of people uh, here in the Fort Mill area. Those that are moving in by the droves are those who are young families with kids, and we want to reach them. Pray that God will send us the people we need uh, that will help us welcome, love, and share the gospel uh, with young families. We want to reach people who are retiring here and people whose kids have already grown up. Pray that God will send us the resources we need to do this, that he'll send helpers, maybe staff, maybe partners. Uh, We pray that you will join us as we pray for these things moving forward. We'd love to hear from you about that. Our information has been here on the screen. Uh, Let us know that you're praying for us, and uh, we would love that. Uh, Now, I want us to leave with the benediction. You know it's my favorite if you've uh, listened to any of these messages from Numbers chapter 6. Now, the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.